the reality of when you're trying to make a hire um, is you want to set them up for success and obviously you know set the company up for success. It may not be that that person was a CMO before. That person may not have necessarily gone through the journey from taking a $10 million company to $30 million, but they may have taken a company from 5 to 15 in a similar setting, and this would be a stretch where they're not going to have a bigger team, a bigger scope of responsibility. So if you see good raw intrinsics, good pattern of success and familiarity with some of the things we're trying to do, then I think you can see, you know, P from feeling comfortable backing um, the folks who, who, you know, will be stretching into a role, but they're set up for success because they kind of have shown that they know what they're doing in the same setting. Welcome to The Get, the marketing talent podcast. This is Erica Seidel, your host. We explore what it takes to get and keep the best marketing leaders in the B2B SaaS world. So today we look at hiring through the lens of the private equity investor. If you are a CEO hiring a marketing leader for your SaaS company, and if you have investors, you want to be aligned with them so that you don't run into surprise veto power. And if you're a marketing leader exploring a top marketing job with a SaaS company that has PE investors, you'll want to know what they're looking for and how it might be different from what everybody else within the company is looking for. My guest today is Prijal Kadakia. He's principal of the growth team at Serent Capital. And I'm delighted to have you on the show, Preetal. So welcome. Great. Thanks, Erica, for having me. I'm excited to be here. And uh, hopefully we can have a great conversation around how we as private equity investors and the private equity community partner with marketing leaders um, to drive growth in our portfolio companies. Awesome. So let's get right into it. Can you tell us about you and your role? And I'm very curious to know how one gets to join a PE company as a um, as a marketing and sales expert, which is basically what I understand your role to be. Yeah, let me start a little bit about Sarah, and then I'll uh, happily share about my role and how I kind of my journey to get here. Um, so, Sarah was founded in 2008 by two operators, David Kennedy and Kevin Frick, with the fundamental thesis that we were going to have a hands-on business building engagement model with companies to drive high growth. Um, so, t- typically looking at founder-run businesses somewhere between 10 to $100 million in revenue that was looking for a partner that would be on the ground side by side with them on particularly around sales and marketing issues, but a variety of different areas that are going to drive revenue growth. Um, and so within Saren, I lead what we call our growth team. So our growth team is a group of 13 individuals um, who work directly with the investments that we make and the companies we make after we make the investment. So their kind of purview is, to help scale the organizations um, inside the portfolio companies we have, and then work side by side with management team as extra arms and legs, um, thought partners, and kind of folks on the ground that are going to help drive results. Uh, and I lead that team overall. Um, in terms of how to get here, I mean, there's a variety of different journeys and a variety of different operating models um, inside of private equity. For us, um, we've kind of focused in on growth team members who've got a combination of consulting background, which has really helped them look at a variety of different industries um, and ramp up on new industries and influence folks without having direct kind of line ownership and have had operational experience. So for me personally, have had experience working at McKinsey, um, leading a strategy team for all of Mars Chocolate and then running my own small company. Um, That combination helped me kind of really get interested in private equity, but also made me um, a, a good fit for what we're doing here at Serent, where we've got the combination of consulting and operating DNA. 
I think it's different for every other private equity firm, but as a result, that combination's helped us kind of work really well with our portfolio companies. Great. So let me drill into one thing you said. You said side-by-side. Side. Um, how does that really work, working side-by-side side with the company? What does that look like? Yeah, I think, um, you know, it's, it's a, it's, it has to be kind of a well-established relationship with the management team. So, for example, if we were going to think about um, rolling out a new set of marketing campaigns, it would be working with the um, CMO or the VP of marketing to think through, what are those campaigns going to look like? How can we help you um, think about the data that we need to segment the customer base? How do we think about bringing in third parties to help set up the marketing technology framework? And then more importantly, how do we make sure um, that the sales team is able to kind of follow up on leads that are generated by marketing? And so the person on the ground would be helping to operationalize that as an extension of the marketing and sales leaders at the company. And so we will, you know, craft an engagement letter saying this is kind of, hey, you've asked for some help in this area. We'd love to be able to help. Here's the scope of what we think we can do. Then that person from the growth team will be there um, on site if, it, uh, if it's relevant or remotely, um, depending on kind of the situation at each company, working directly with the executive saying, how can I help and operationalize something that's going to help drive revenue growth? Is there a particular type of challenge that you see over and over again in these SaaS companies that you're working with? You know, you mentioned all these different things of campaigns and yeah. data and getting sales to follow up. Is there a particular thing that just keeps coming up again and again? You know, I think it's, um, there's a variety of things, but let me mention three that we see kind of very often inside, inside of our portfolio companies. And keep in mind that we invest in um, founder-run bootstrap companies for the most part that are kind of taking that journey from 10 to 30 million in revenue up to north of 100 um, and helping them go through that journey. And I think software companies at different stages have different requirements, but from Saren's perspective, you know, we've kind of honed our, um, our toolkit around these size companies. So the things that I'm going to mention are relevant to, uh, to, to, to the companies that fall into this bucket. I think first, um, how to scale a sales team effectively. Um, and we're talking about taking a sales team that might be three to 10 folks to over time, 15, 20, 30, 40 folks. Um, and how do you think about scaling that uh, in a way that's going to be sustainable and not just simply degrading the sales economics? And, and that includes the full scope of performance management of the team, thinking about the right profiles of the um, folks on the team, the integration with marketing. So how are we going to let marketing enable our sales team? And similarly, how is sales going to be catching the stuff that marketing is going to be doing. All of that's kind of core scope that we see over and over again in our portfolio companies. Um, a second one that I see a lot of the time um, is around uh, the company uh, pricing to the value it's delivering to its customers. A lot of the time, you know, founders have built companies because they got their first few customers. They're delivering a phenomenal product, a phenomenal service to their end customers. But we often don't see that the company is doing a great job communicating the value it's delivering. And as a result, being able to kind of get the right pricing from customers so they can reinvest back in their product, back in their own employees. Uh, and I think that comes down to what's the value proposition messaging. Are the sales team uh, really focused in on figuring out how we can deliver value and what the problem we're solving is versus the features and clicks and demos inside the product um, and making sure that that's coming through in the companies. And then the last piece is scaling from an organizational standpoint, hiring great executives. Um, as you think about that journey going from 10 to 30 million, 
a lot of times it's new executives that might need to come in to help through that journey and maybe even a new set of executives in certain functions to go from 30 to 100 million. And so um, that is always a challenge in fast growing companies. And it's not just private equity backed companies, but it's every software company that's going through that journey is going to have the organizational challenges that come with it. Mm-hmm. All right, let's drill into that last one, which sure. is the hiring of new executives, uh, because that's, that's my yeah. domain that I know and love. Um, talk to me about um, what you guys are looking for when you are interviewing a CMO or another marketing leader or candidate. Yeah, I think there's a few things um, when you're looking for a marketing leader. The first thing, and I'll kind of come back to this as we continue to dig in, but is is the context in which they were successful similar to the context um, that the company is um, uh, that, that the company we're interviewing for has? Um, I think that's actually the most important thing in both sales leaders, but also in marketing leaders, um, as we think about the right fit. So, for example, having a marketing leader did did a phenomenal job um, with rebranding and kind of in an environment where it was an educational sale to the end customers, um, particularly around large end customers, would not do as well in a high-velocity lead generation, demand generation environment where that was the core focus. And so really thinking about like what was the context in which the marketing leader was successful, I mean, does that context match up with, um, with the setting that we are um, hoping to have, that, that we have in the company um, that, we're, uh, that we're looking to hire the person into? Uh, the second piece is ownership of the bookings results. Um, and I, I think this is something that is not core to every marketer's DNA, but from our perspective, marketing is hand-in-hand with sales. So when the bookings number for the company comes up short, um, marketing kind of feels the same amount of ownership over that uh, as does sales. And so I think this is a really critical aspect to a marketing leader. It's someone who doesn't feel like their job ends at the MQL, but it goes all the way through to the closed business that's coming through in the business. And they're kind of holding their power, counterparts accountable in sales and doing their work to make sure that the booking number is coming through for the whole company. Um, and then the last piece I think that's important to look for um, in, the, in marketing leaders is their ability to kind of see around the corners and forecast in the future. Marketing, in particular in companies that don't have very high velocity short sales cycles, which, you know, most software companies have somewhere between a two to three months all the way up to kind of a multi-year sales cycle. Being able to say, like, the work I'm doing today is not going to instantly generate leads that are going to close this month, but if I don't do the right work today, the metrics that I need to hit now are going to have material impact on our business six months from now, nine months from now, 15 months from now. There has to be a market leader who could think about the impact of the work today into the future, forecast through to what that needs to look like, and is able to see around the corner around, hey, we're going to see a hiccup. How do I kind of course correct today so we don't find ourselves nine months from now feeling like we missed the numbers? Interviewing is of limited utility, so how can we how can we really improve the whole process of hiring? I mean, this is what I think about all the time. Um, and one thing I'm thinking about is bring in uh, those homework assignments earlier on. So even in the first interview, you know, have somebody bring in something that they're proud of that they're no longer proud of. <laughs> Or have them bring in an example from, uh, you know, from their their latest dashboard. You know, fuzz out the the sensitive areas and and you know and and share that, and then kind of 
get the homework assignments progressively more um, uh, kind of connected to the company that the candidate is looking at, um, and also maybe progressively harder. It's not like you're going to have 10 homework assignments, but, you know, have them kind of have the, the, the level of commitment match the level of seriousness um, and, and uh, you know, advancement in the process. One the technique that's been successful for us, um, for marketing and sales leaders, we make we ask them to fill out a spreadsheet before even their first interview. And in that spreadsheet, it includes um, what does the team look like, what were the leads, um, what was the conversion rate, win rate, average selling price, uh, average sales cycle, collecting all of that data so that we can then quickly answer the question around the context first. And then secondly, provide that information to the interviewer. And then the guidance we tend to give the interviewers is we're looking for you to test on a couple capabilities that are in our kind of matrix of must-have capabilities as a marketer. Um, but the way we're asking you to test for that is please don't do a resume walkthrough. Don't start from high school and work all the way up to their current role and why they're going to the next role going forward, because if everyone did that, everyone gets kind of the cursory answer. But rather, you've got the data around different roles that they've done. You've got their resume. Pick one of the areas and go spend 45 minutes an hour just talking about that example and try to get illustrations around the capabilities you're looking for in that example, um, because that's really going to allow you to go deep into, okay, so tell me about that conversation with the sales rep, or tell me about that technique you tried and why it didn't work, and had you course correct from it. And you can really get a lot of kind of really rich information out of it. And the, the interview ends up being less about the person and how they're acting in the room to how do they think about things and what do they recollect from that and how do they you know think about it now as they reflect back on it. And that goes a long way in the interview process. And then if you culminate it with the case, one of the questions we ask the management team members because they want to work with this person after the case is, is that the plan? That person just put a plan of what he or she would do. Is that the plan that you want to sign up behind? And if the answer ends up being yes, then that's a great thing. If the answer being ends up being no, I don't actually want to sign up behind that plan, um, then you're kind of you know stepping back and rethinking if that's uh, if that's the right person for the company at this stage. At this stage, scaling from 10, 15, 20 million up to 50 to 100 million, that you can't be, well, my marketing ops person knows all that stuff or my sales ops person. Like we need the leader to be rolling up their sleeves, driving the day-to-day, -day, be on top of their operations and numbers. Uh, and I think that is really critical um, for folks to be successful in our role. And so we're not asking for any proprietary information. Like you didn't even have to tell us kind of exactly what, you know, who the folks were on the team or et cetera. Like, or even if quota performance, if you want to give us bands, that's okay. Uh, but we do need to understand like we're using the similar context and the questions, like if you don't off the top of your head know what the average selling price was, what the the average sales cycle was, what the win rate was, you know, roughly in each of your last three or four um, leadership roles, then I think that's kind of raises the question for us if it's the right fit. What are some pitfalls that you want CEOs of these growth stage companies to avoid as they launch a search for a marketing leader? One of the, I think, the biggest challenges that I see with CEOs is not having clarity around who you're looking for in the marketing um, leader. And so you go into the process thinking that you want the all singing, dancing, someone who can rebrand, someone who can think about value messaging, product marketing, demand generation, all in one person. And the reality is it's really hard to find an executive that's not only able to do and manage all that stuff, but also do all the work um, versus you know, having a 15-person marketing department. And so I think getting clarity around 
what's really important for the company today in the stage that we're in and how we can kind of drive it, and what's the right level? Do you really need a CMO, or do you want a VP of marketing that's going to be able to kind of grow into a CMO role over time? I think that's probably the number one pitfall. If you can figure that out uh, and how that's going to play with the rest of the organization, um, I think the actual process of kind of interviewing and hiring goes really well. But if you end up in this world where I don't know, you end up seeing candidates with all different strengths, becomes really hard to decide between them because they are strong in different areas, but if you don't know what you need, it becomes really hard to figure out how to make the hire. It is so true, right? You, you you start falling in love with somebody because they might be that extroverted and articulate marketer, but maybe they're the brand marketer and what you really need is the demand person, the, the, the person is more forward on demand gen. You know, there's no question every company needs everything, right? Like, you know, if you want, if you had a perfect world, would you want your company to be thinking about its branding? Yes. Would you want the company to be thinking about its digital marketing and web presence? Absolutely. Um, would you want it to be thinking about demand generation, sales and market, sales tools, enablers, um, thinking about product marketing? I think the way to kind of come to an answer is I have goals for the next 24 months, maybe 36 months if you stretch, right? But for the next 24 months, if I think about what I'm trying to deliver um, and if I'm trying to think about what's going to be important for the company from a lead generation or, sorry, marketing top of the funnel brand perspective, what do we need to get done? And if I had to pick out of those four or five things that marketing folks can do, two things that I really need to kind of hit it out of the park, then I, I should focus in on that. And that should come down to um, what are my bookings targets for the next three years? How do I think about that growth? What does that mean in terms of the P&L for the business? What resources will I have to put behind it? And then what do I think I can actually – um, do to enable that booking target. So if it ends up being, hey, I'm going to grow booking 60% every year, and all I need to do is increase headcount um, on the sales team, then maybe I should be thinking about more um, sales enablement tools, branding, value proposition type um, resources inside of inside of marketing. If I realize that, hey, our outbound efforts are not going to get us there, I really need to double down on lead generation and get a lot of inbound flow um, going to our sales team. And then that's a very different profile of what I'm going to prioritize. Or if I realize, and we've had this example in the past too, that nobody really associates our brand well in the industry with what we're trying to message to them and what sales folks are running into is like, um, we had this with one of the companies that yeah, actually we've worked with together in the past um, to say, isn't that just a CRM company? No, we're not a CRM company. We're trying to do something different. If you can't get that out of a small markets kind of perspective, then you need someone who's going to actually take the brand and drive it forward and change the perspective in the market, that's a very different skill set. So I think it's important to look forward to what are you trying to be in three years and then back into the thing that you need to accomplish. If you have to pick one or two, what are those? And then that's going to help you kind of figure out the ideal profile. It won't be perfect. That person will still have flaws and things that they're working on, but hopefully it's better than getting the person who's got a different set of skills than what you need going forward. Sometimes PE-funded companies are more in growth mode, and sometimes when you have a PE player involved, they're more in cost-cutting mode. So I know you focus more on the growth side of things, but because yeah. you're a PE person, I'm going to ask you. So um, sure. does, does that mode, growth versus you know, uh, uh, you know, efficiency, um, say anything about the caliber of marketing talent that can be expected? So in short, you know, do you have the pick of the marketing litter more when you're in growth mode and then, you know, the, the, the kind of tier two marketing candidates if you're in cost-cutting mode because maybe the best marketing leaders want to be in growth mode. Can you react to that? Yeah, I think um, 
I, I think that's there's a, there's a uh, embedded kind of assumption in your question that I think is probably just different. It's like describing best as absolute and kind of coming back to the same thing from before. It's who's best for the context, right? A very high growth oriented CMO we may think is the best put that person into a turnaround situation, they may not be the right person for that role. And in fact, may not be the best um, executive for that company. And so um, it's all kind of relative to the context of what the business needs, who is the best person for that. And I think that's not on an absolute scale of is that the best CMO or the best VP in marketing, whatever the role may be. Even within growth, there's so many different spectrums. The marketing leader that you need for a company that's trying to grow 200% a year to 30% a year, to 3% a year is also really different, right? And and I think what you're trying to optimize around um, ends up being pretty different. From my perspective, I think on the turnaround side of things or, co- you know, if a company's in cost-cutting mode, um, the marketing leader that you're looking for there is not someone who's drumming up a bunch of leads and, you know, trying to create a bunch of new investments in the company because that's, you know, contrary to what the company's trying to do. But they're able to craft the message both internally um, as well as externally around, the company is stable. There's a great future path forward for the company. They're, we're going through this kind of restructuring so that on the far side of it, we continue to invest in the right areas. And so retention of customers is really important. And retention of employees of the right employees ends up being really important. In fact, I think one of the things a lot of marketing folks talk about is there's not just external marketing. There's internal marketing. And sometimes internal marketing gets cast off as, oh, that's a human resources function. Well, actually, no. Your employees believing in the value proposition you deliver to your customers is just as important um, as, you know, your customers believing in that value proposition in many ways because they're the ones on the front lines talking to the customers. And so I think in that world, in that world where things are, you know, not all rosy and growing 40, 50% a year, um, you want to have someone who can really craft the messaging and knows how to think about different segments of customers, of employees, different ways of, you know, the nuance between each of those so that that resonates with each of them. Um, but even within growth, I think it's a wide spectrum of folks. But I would just say, like, I don't think there is a best absolute. It's just is the best person for that role for that, that at that time. Great. Thank you. Um, one final question for you, and that is, yeah. um, what is your advice um, to a marketing leadership candidate to, um, to really have a great interview with somebody from the PE side of things? Yeah, I think the biggest piece of advice I would give is, um, you know, keep your investor-oriented hat on. Um, Understand kind of what the context of the private equity um, ownership is, what they're looking for. So where is the company in the hold period? Um, Did they just make the investment? Is it in year four of the investment? So they're probably thinking a little bit more around at some point there's an exit coming up in the next whatever number of years. Traditionally, is that private equity firm been a three, five-year hold uh, firm, or is it a seven to 10-year hold firm? Knowing your investor and how they've invested in the past, how they've had patterns around what they've done with their companies will make you, you know, better at the interview in some ways, but it'll just make you a better candidate and make sure that you're feeling like you're you're getting into, um, uh, into a role where it matches kind of the horizon of things that you're trying to accomplish. Um, going forward. And so I would say, like, first, know your investor and kind of what their pattern recognition has been around um, how they've handled investments and where the portfolio company sits in their kind of investment life cycle. The second thing is, you know, think like someone who was in the investment um, decision-making room with the private equity investor. And this is one of the advantages for a lot of the folks on our growth team is they spend 
three or four years with us and then go into our portfolio companies as executives is they've got that lens of like, here's how investment judgments made inside of the investment committee. And I think there's a few things to keep in mind. Private equity investors have an exit horizon. It's not a perpetual um, hold, right? And so you have to think about if I'm going to make investments and bets, can it pay off? Five years is a typical rule of thumb in the industry. So can it pay off in five years? Or am I, you know, making a bunch of infrastructure bets that um, aren't going to necessarily have direct ROI that I can point to in five years? And so some of those things, like just making sure you're cognizant of the fact that they're happy to make investments into the business and help it kind of grow. There's obviously some infrastructural investments, but they're looking for an ROI on the equity value of the business um, within a period of time with, you know, that they're holding the business. And so think about as you're messaging what you're doing, not from a purist perspective, but from a, there's a, you know, what I'm doing is actually going to generate equity returns long run for the business, the shareholders, and, and the private equity firm. And I think if you keep that lens as you're thinking about what you're talking about, the anecdotes you're sharing, um, and how you're going to engage with the company um, and the CEO, that'll go a long way in kind of speaking the language of the PE firm. Awesome. So know thy investor and know thy results are kind of two themes that have come up in our conversation yeah. today. Yeah, thank awesome. Well, Preetal, thank you so much. Yeah, thank you so much for uh, joining the show. This has been awesome to hear all about your perspectives, and um, I really appreciate your time. Absolutely. Thanks, Erica. Thanks for inviting me, and I enjoyed the conversation. Thanks for joining us today for The Get. Join us next time with another guest. Till then, follow us on SoundCloud, iTunes, or Spotify, or check us out on LinkedIn and Twitter so you don't miss a thing.